0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. As I set up our scripture for this morning, if you'd like a moment to find it in your Bibles or in your Pew Bibles, it's on New Testament page 3 in your Pew Bibles, and it is from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. That's Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to use the Pew Bibles, it's page New Testament page 3. But as I said earlier, uh, today marks the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And now the season of Lent is a season of 40 days meant to prepare our hearts for Easter. Traditionally in the church, it was a season in which people would enter into, new converts into the faith, faith specifically, that they would enter into to prepare their hearts for baptism. And baptisms would happen on Easter every single year. That people through... Um, disciplines and formational practices would prepare for that moment where they would be immersed into the water, that they would be reminded that they have died with Christ and they have been raised to new life in Christ. And over time, it has grown. It's changed in some ways. And during this season, many people of faith will begin practices meant to draw them closer to God. In the spirit of fasting, um, some people might abstain from certain practices or certain things that they enjoy. For some people, that might be food. Uh, For others, that might be um, social media. For others, that might be television. Uh, For me, uh, several years ago and and then this year, I sometimes like to engage a practice whereby I do not listen to the radio in my car when I'm in it. Because there's so much, I believe there's so much noise all over the place, and I am just like, I don't have a lot of time to just be still and be quiet. Hallelujah. Um, So I, the person who really loves listening to my radio and listening to the news and sports and all that good stuff, turn my radio off for the season of Lent and use that as a space to reflect and to pray with my eyes open, eyes wide open prayers, but still. (laughs) Hallelujah. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Some also will take the opportunity over the season of Lent, throughout the season of Lent, to actually take on a practice. Uh, Take on some practice, whether that be uh, reflecting, journaling. Some who are not in the habit of reading scripture daily might commit to read the scriptures every single day. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, we have a way for you to do that. Um, In this church, we give out scripture cards Every Sunday morning, they're tied to what we call the 40-day Bible challenge in our church, and the reality is that whenever you start, you can read your Bible for 40 days in our church because we provide these every single Sunday, and so maybe if that's something that that you've decided you want to enter into during this season of Lent, I would love for you to know that we have this resource available to you. It's also available digitally, online. You can actually sign up, let the church know that you're taking that challenge, Um, and we'd love for you to enter into that with us. But ultimately, uh, we believe the, the purpose for this season is intentionality. That we would be people who are intentional about drawing closer to the Lord through practices and disciplines, adding something to our routines, taking something away from our routines, making intentional choices that help us grow and transform as disciples of Jesus Christ. So what many people ask, especially if they're new to the church or new to churches that practice this season of Lent, is why Lent? Why Lent? Why 40 days? Why fasting? Why repentance? Why self-reflection? Well, our scripture this morning really gives us the why for the season of Lent. It is the scripture that the church has used to really um, be the foundational scripture for the season of Lent. And it comes to us from Matthew chapter four. Now, this happens, this occurs immediately following the baptism of Jesus. So to this point, Jesus hasn't really begun His ministry. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't performed any miracles. He hasn't done any great teaching. He's just been raised in His family and come to this place where He has been baptized. And immediately after His baptism, this is what happens. Scripture says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. And so again, when we ask, why Lent? Why 40 days? Why resisting temptation? Why repentance? We see many of those themes carried in these scriptures. And as we read this scripture, we see that Jesus was able to resist these temptations by the devil because he knew as the son of God and as a faithful human, we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human, that Jesus knew the core truths of scripture was deeply connected to God, his father in heaven, and was able to allow these um, foundational truths to help him answer his questions. So when the devil insists that Jesus turn stone into bread in verses three and four, Jesus Turns to Scripture in response. And when the devil took Scripture itself and twisted it for his own purpose, that's in verses 5, 6, and 7, Jesus once again drew on his depth of understanding of God's Word to refute the devil's claims. And finally, when the devil used pride and ego as a path to an easy way out, Jesus once again drew upon the Scripture to turn the devil away, and to resist. It was this fundamental core identity and depth of understanding for Jesus of God's word that allowed Jesus the strength to face these trials. Now, this year as we enter into this Lenten journey, our church is going to focus on addressing two primary questions that, that we often find ourselves asking in the faith. And the first is, what do we believe as Christians? What do we actually believe as Christians? What are those core foundational things that really set Christianity apart, that makes us distinct? You might say the non-negotiables of our faith. And two, why does it matter? Why does it matter? How does what we believe actually shape who we are and work to change and transform our lives? And to address these questions, we're going to utilize two primary resources and also a a companion resource. The first resource, as always, is is Scripture. Our church believes that Scripture is central to a life of faith and discipleship. As Jesus modeled for us in our Scripture this morning, the Word of God really is central to a life of faith and and obedience. And so each week we're going to engage our scripture as well as provide opportunities for our church family to engage in daily scripture reading and devotional. We invite you to journey alongside us in that. The second resource we're going to use, and hopefully you received one on your way in this morning. If you did not, you can receive one on your way out, is the Apostles' Creed. We've given everybody a card that has the Apostles' Creed written on it. If you're not familiar with this, um, I invite you to get familiar with it, to put it on your bathroom mirror or somewhere that you are going to see it regularly. If you need more than one, you want one for your kids, pick more than one up. That's totally fine, um, and maybe develop a discipline over this season of Lent to reading it every day or to putting it to memory. If you haven't already, we believe that this statement of faith um, is one that provides foundational core truths narrated through Scripture that help us define what those non-negotiables are for us as a church. And finally, um, we invite you to consider purchasing and reading alongside us this book by Adam Hamilton called Creed, What Christians Believe and Why. Again, we'll have it available today. If you're a digital e-reader, you can get it through Kindle or any of those services as well. So to address that first question, you know, what in fact do we believe as Christians? What are some of the non-negotiables as a church community? Really as a church, we have two means, two pillars by which our our faith kind of rests on. Uh, One is theology. Theology is the study of the nature of God. It's exactly what theology is. And the other is doctrine. Doctrine, which is a belief or a set of beliefs that we often teach within the church. And one way we talked about this in in our pastor's meeting was using this this metaphor of a field with a fence around it. That that theology really is this, this wonderful field in which we explore God, we explore our faith, we ask questions about our faith, we communicate with one another, at times we debate with one another, um, but, but we have this beautiful field that is called theology. And the fence, the fence provides some of the boundaries in that field that help us name what some of the things are that make us distinctly Christian. That if you we were to step outside of that fence, you might be having a conversation outside of the bounds of what we believe is the church and our faith. And so while we might encourage each other to play as much as we want within the field, we would also encourage each other not to hop the fence. Not to hop the fence. The Apostles' Creed for us is an exercise in doctrine. It's one of those boundary setters. One of those boundary systems we have in place to help guard us from stepping outside of the bounds of what we believe Christianity is, historically, is passed down from one generation to the next. And so today, we'll begin with the first two words, the first two words of the Apostles' Creed: "I believe." Everybody say it with me. One, two, three. I, I believe. believe. I believe. How in the world did we get to that statement? How do we get to this document, this set of beliefs that help us to set some of the boundaries around Christianity? And to help us with that, I want to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 15. We're going to read and look at one of the great early debates in the church. One of the great early debates in the church is Acts, chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. Friends, this passage in Acts chapter 15, often referred to as the Council of Jerusalem, is one of the great first public debates within the life of the church. There were differing views regarding Gentiles or non-Jewish Christians coming into the faith. And the great debate was whether or not people coming into the faith outside the Jewish community should assume traditional Jewish practices, the most hotly debated of which was the practice of circumcision, which you might imagine for adult men might be a great stumbling block to the faith. mm uh-huh. Now, after spirited debate, in which Paul gave testimony to the way he noticed the Holy Spirit working within the lives of the Gentiles, and after the apostle Peter himself gives testimony as to this vision that God gave him, where God laid out a blanket in front of him with all of these foods that Peter believed to be unclean, and then God said, whatever I have made clean, you cannot call unclean people in the midst of that debate come to a joint decision and they share some of that decision in a letter to the Gentiles. We'll continue at verse 28. This is a portion of that letter they wrote. It says, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so you can imagine for these Gentiles to receive this letter, after all this debate surrounding them and their ability to enter into this life of faith, to know that they had this blessing that they did not have to assume every Jewish practice and tradition to be welcomed into the life of faith. And it's actually in response to this question and many questions that we receive much of our scripture today. Because Paul, throughout the book of Acts, is going around to community after community. He did not stay put in his place. He went throughout the known world, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, seeing the Holy Spirit be poured out among the Gentiles, inviting them into this place where they could come to Christ and experience the fullness of life in Christ. And oftentimes when he would leave, another teacher would come in behind him and say, well, Paul got it mostly right, but he messed this thing up. You need to assume all of these Jewish traditions. And Paul would write letters back to those divided and conflicted communities, and we receive many of those letters throughout the New Testament. So it is clear that not only was belief important to the Christians, but it mattered a great deal. And why did it matter? Why did it matter? Because belief is what drove their behavior. It was Paul's deep belief about the character and nature of God to be a God who was capable about inviting others beyond what he felt were invited into the fold that caused him to go out and preach the good news to all these communities. Adam Hamilton, in his book, Creed, shared this in the introduction He said, many deeply held beliefs have the power to motivate us to action, sacrifice, and service. These deeply held beliefs can shape us for good or for bad. Some fundamental convictions lead people to do great harm, and other beliefs lead people to live sacrificially in service to others. One set of convictions shapes the Ku Klux Klan, and another shapes the Sisters of Charity. So what we believe matters. What we believe matters. Matters. And as we consider that what of we believe, and know how much it matters to us, it's important for us to answer some questions personally, especially when we consider our belief systems, which we know drive us and mold us and shape us into who we are. Questions like what is the source? of your belief? What is the source of your belief? What are some of your most deeply held beliefs or convictions? And how did you come to hold those convictions? Perhaps it was through a parent, or your parents, or grandparents, perhaps through personal experience, through study, or through relationships. What are the sources that have shaped your belief Being able to articulate our responses to these questions is very important for us as individuals and as a church family because part of the reality is that the church is oftentimes engaged in debate with itself. And so having this knowledge of what sources our belief and where these fences are Help us to communicate with one another in a spirit of love. Part of the reality is that division and divisiveness have just been a part of the church throughout Scripture, throughout history. In our Scripture today, it's Gentiles being welcomed into the fold. A couple hundred years later, it's who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he really fully God or is he not? How do we define that? These questions help to shape some of the great creeds and statements of our faith. Sometimes these debates have united the church, and other times these debates have divided the church. Sometimes these debates are cultural. Sometimes these debates are biblical. Sometimes they are both. But the reality is the church has constantly been engaged in these great conversations of faith. Our global United Methodist Church is in the midst of one of those debates right now regarding the topic of human sexuality. This is a reality for us as a church, and we pray for our global church. We pray for our leaders. We have leaders from our church who both today and tomorrow will go to meetings with others from our conference to be brought up to speed as to where our global church is in this conversation, to communicate with one another, to pray together, to ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. And from that meeting, we will come back and we will continue to share with our congregation where we are as a church. Part of our commitment, part of our commitment to each other is to spend time recentering and reclaiming our foundation. With scripture at the center of all we do, with the tradition of the church helping to shape our understanding of who we are together, we desire to use this season of Lent to live into reclaiming these truths for us as a church family. One that is beautifully diverse across a theological spectrum that we would come together and we would say, what is it exactly that makes us unique as Christians? What do we believe, and why does it matter? And so our challenge for us as a community this week is that whether it be in small groups, Sunday school classes, around dinner tables, at lunch, on the drive home, wherever you may find yourself, is that we would be engaged in conversation together. This week specifically, around this question of the source of our belief. I encourage you to talk about that with one another. Perhaps it's not a conversation you've had in a while or ever with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, that you would talk about what are some of your most deeply held beliefs or convictions and how did you come to hold those convictions. And next week we will continue. We'll continue to dive through this creed, walk line by line through it, beginning a a little mini-series, within a series, on God. On God. Starting with the person of God, the Father. Um, So we encourage you to come back and continue that conversation with us. And finally, what we want to do every week is create a space for us as a church to reclaim and reaffirm this great statement of faith and tradition in our church And so each and every week, uh, we will stand together and recite this Apostles' Creed. It's printed in your bulletins. It'll be projected on the screens. But I invite us at this time to stand and to join together in this statement of our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.